It's noon here in Ventnor City, New Jersey, and our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and this is news that you can use for Monday, November 6th from Car Edge with your host, me, Ray, and, well, that recently quaffed guy, Zach. How are you today, handsome? I'm doing great, Dad. I am doing especially well because every once in a while we get an expert to actually join us here on the Rain Zach channel. And today, Dad, we have Aaron Witte. I'm going to pull her onto the screen and Pops give you a second here to give Aaron the appropriate introduction. And then, Aaron, hear a few words from me before we jump into today's show. Well, I had the privilege and pleasure of interviewing Aaron a, a couple of weeks ago and her episode of Auto Insiders with Ray Shevska dropped this morning. And, uh, well, Aaron is the Director of Consumer Protection for the Consumer Federation of America. And, and if anybody is out there to help protect the consumers in this country, especially on the auto side of things, it would be Aaron. So welcome back, Aaron. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be on this episode with you guys. I haven't had a chance to listen to my podcast, and I'm not sure if I will. It's a little painful to listen to yourself. I don't know how you guys do it regularly. I usually try to avoid it if I can. Um, but yeah, I'm a consumer advocate. I'm the director of consumer protection, um, as Ray mentioned. And before I started at CFA, I worked at the Virginia Attorney General's office where I was an enforcement attorney. And prior to that, I was in private practice where I represented individual consumers against all kinds of bad actors, but mostly um, shady used car dealers in Virginia. I am, I am so glad you're here with us, Aaron. Uh, we've had the privilege of being able to meet up one time in person, which was really great. So we built a little bit of rapport there. I was just listening to your episode with my dad on Auto Insiders, again, here on YouTube, on all the podcast channels. And I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that you don't like listening to yourself. Dad, I think we're narcissists, like something. <laughs> we love it. Um, no, but Aaron, I mean, just getting to know you and seeing the, the work that you do, it's incredible. And so today, I thought we could talk a little bit about the work that you're doing over at CFA. And I thought, and we'll see if it works here, there's an interesting connection. Because here on Daily, uh, Daily News, you can use from Car Edge, we actually talk about the things going on in the auto industry. And so there was a lead headline today that I think ties back to some of the work that you're doing over at CFA. Interestingly, Pops and Aaron, there was a survey conducted of car dealers, of all people. And you know what the uh, big finding was? that they do not trust the automaker that they represent. So Kerrigan Advisors, they did, or Kerrigan did a dealer survey and they found, Aaron and Pops, that Ford dealers least trust the manufacturer the most. Toyota dealers trust their manufacturer the most, or the least and the most. So you've got here, Ford dealers trust the manufacturer the least. Toyota dealers trust the manufacturer the most. You've got here the top five and bottom five Interestingly, Ford, Nissan, Lincoln, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, and Infiniti dealers say they do not trust their OEM at 48%, 43%, 40%, 39%, 37%. There's a huge divide here in terms of how, how, to, how much trust there is. I thought this was interesting, Aaron, because there's a pretty big gulf of trust when it comes from consumers to car dealers. And evidently, there's a huge gulf of trust between car dealers and their manufacturers. Pops, I know you worked in this space for decades, and so you could probably speak to some of that. But I'm hopeful that we can have this conversation around trust in the industry and maybe how we can bring a little bit more there. I guess, Dad, you kick it off first. Can you talk a little bit about, were you surprised by these results? Um, was I surprised? By, well, yeah, I was, 
I was surprised that the Toyota dealers think that highly of Toyota. Um, I, I'm surprised anytime dealers think as highly about their manufacturers as they do. What what you really have to take into consideration is if Ford dealers themselves don't trust their manufacturer, and I believe that was at 48% of the dealer body. So half of the dealer body um, doesn't have a tremendous amount of faith in Ford, the manufacturer. And, and it's bothersome to them. What surprises me that's not bothersome to any of the dealers is if they did a survey to find out, well, how customers trust dealers. And they would probably find that 98% of the customers out there don't trust new car automobile dealers. But but the dealers seem to be okay with that. And that to me is the real conundrum. How do we how do we get dealers to be more concerned with what consumers think about them as opposed to what the dealers think about their supplier? Mm-hmm. What do you make of this, Aaron? Yeah, I think this is really interesting because from a consumer perspective, I don't think that consumers always think about the dynamic between franchise dealers and manufacturers, right? There's a whole other layer there. Uh, certainly, these issues have gotten a lot more press recently with some some things happening. Um, but typically, when you're buying a car, that dynamic and that relationship is not always something that consumers think about. The way that that plays out in the sale of a vehicle, I think certainly matters. And that's where consumers really feel the impacts of that friction, although they may not necessarily recognize that, that that's where it's coming from or that might be driving some of like the sale of certain add-ons or certain products or a certain vehicle, right? Like they don't yeah. maybe always appreciate that that's what's happening. Um, but to Ray's point about the lack of trust that customers have with car dealers, you know, I think we hear about that all the time because who do we all talk to? consumers and the people buying these cars, right? Like we hear the consumer experience every single day about the lack of trust that they feel. I mean, people going to buy a car feel like they're getting ready for war, right? Not that it's like an enjoyable experience that they get to like pick a car and have fun. It's like, oh God, I have to buy a car. And it's just this awful experience. And I think that speaks a lot to the relationship that customers think that they have with dealers. And I think that's a very different picture than what dealers perceive that dealers perceive that consumers think about that transaction and that relationship. Can I share with you guys something that stood out to me in the article that I think is also very relevant tied to what you're talking about, uh, talking about there, Aaron? 48% of dealers said they have no trust in Ford. All right, we acknowledge that. And Kerrigan advisors found that outcome, quote, consistent with the expectation of a decline in future Ford franchise profitability due to the OEM's EV slash future retailing strategy. So like, let's cut through some of the jargon there. Ford's EV strategy is for there to be a price is the price and you sell cars. And that is going to potentially impact the profitability of Ford dealers. And so they don't trust the brand. Help me, help me see through this, Aaron. Does that mean that maybe they can profit more if the price isn't just the price? Like, yeah, it's there's weird. a lot in that sentence, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there really is. And of course, you know, if you've listened to the podcast episode, you've had a chance to see that. That's really what um, I've been pushing for as an advocate at CFA is transparency and pricing vehicles. 
You can buy a toaster and figure out the price of a toaster, but you can't figure out the price of a car, a significant financial transaction for most people or for a lot of people, it's the most expensive transaction they'll ever enter into. And yet they don't know the price before they go to a dealership, do battle for five to seven hours, and then eventually sign all this paperwork. So yeah, it's really telling that um, the way that dealers feel about this price transparency potential and how it may hurt their bottom line. This would explain the way that dealers have fought against price transparency at every opportunity. The Federal Trade Commission proposed a rule last year that would do that. It would require more price transparency. What a novel concept when you're buying a car. You should be able to know how much it's going to cost when you're shopping for it instead of having to battle for it for seven hours. Um, And the auto dealer industry has been extremely outspoken about how they feel about this rule proposal. They hate it and they're taking lots of efforts to kill it. Um, The National Auto Dealers Association is fighting tooth and nail against this rule proposal. Um, So we've really been trying to push for the rules, support it. The Federal Trade Commission is doing a wonderful job um, and really trying to support them in this effort. Pops, before, before, just one quick second. I just want to acknowledge one thing, which is it's not even close between first and second. 48%, half of Ford dealers don't trust the brand. Nissan is second at 43%. Lincoln is also Ford. Okay, so two of the top three are Ford. And it all ties back to an EV and future retailing strategy that's more about transparency and fairness. I I don't think that's the real issue for the dealers. I don't think it's the transparent uh, pricing of the EVs. It's the fact there's no margin built into that pricing. Um, And that's what's going to make the dealerships worth less than what they had been in the past. Um, We know that Ford plans to lose $4.5 billion as a corporation this year selling the EVs that they're building. Mm -hmm. They have set the dealers up so that they can't make any money on the EVs they're selling because oftentimes, excuse me, oftentimes the invoice amount is identical to the manufacturer's suggested retail price. Well, if there's no margin, if there's no profit margin built into it, why would you, as that dealer, be thrilled to represent that product at that moment? It it reminds me of when I had my golf store and my Spalding rep said, oh, you know, the 15 ball pack sells really, really well. You need those. Um, they retail best at $14.99. However, uh, we wholesale them to you at $15.99. <laughs> well, you know, what, what why, you? yeah, why do I want to stock up on those? <laughs> so. It's got to be a mixture of the two, though, right? It's got to be a mixture of the fact that the OEM is making vehicles that don't have margin built in for the dealer. That's, a, that's its own challenge. The other is yes. the fact that this model is more transparent. I mean, look, like Nissan is number two on that list, and Nissan is notorious for stair-step incentive programs. End of the I month think. coming around, go to your local Nissan dealership. They probably have $100,000 on the line if they hit volume threshold. So like these practices that are kind of, I'll say it, Aaron, archaic, you know, like what other industry? You said it before, you could go buy the toaster. Right. It's not like the toaster is cheaper at Bed Bath & Beyond on the last day of the month, you know, because they have a stair-step program. Like these archaic practices are the ones that I think hold the industry back. And in a kind of convoluted way, you can think of the work at, at CFA is actually like, it should be what the industry is supporting wholeheartedly because mm-hmm. it actually propels them into the future in a way that can make them sustainable, 
uh, approachable, dependable versus adversarial, where the NADA, like you were saying, they dig their heels in and they're trying these 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 rules that they're trying to overturn. It's like this is some common sense stuff, guys. So I I I hear I hear what you're saying, Dad, but I also think Aaron's right. It's a little bit of it's a little bit of both. Yeah, and if I could, uh, I think that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know what what dealers love to say and the way that they love to spin this is that it's because of the relationship that they have that they can customize this vehicle to be something specifically for that consumer, right? They can give them all of these individual things that they need and they're going to lose that personal touch, right? If we go in this um, EV model where it's much less personalized, but that dynamic that I think a lot of dealers operate under this fiction that that's developing a relationship with consumers is exactly where we see discrimination, is where we see fraud, is where we see consumers speaking out exactly against that personalization, right? It's an opportunity to put in add-ons and all these and discriminatory pricing techniques. Um, it just is a very different experience from the consumer perspective than it is from the dealer perspective. And, and I, I, you know, Aaron and I have had conversations, I, you know, obviously I believe very strongly in that the, the consumer should know what they're going to be asked to pay for something mm-hmm. based on how it was advertised. If it was advertised for $50,000, when you go to the store, it should be $50,000, not, well, it's $50,000. We forgot to tell you about this package that we installed on the car or this. Or, so I, I agree 100%. I just, yes, we need to get dealers to step up and believe in honesty and transparency. And I know, having said that, that that sounds oxymoronic the moment it comes out of my mouth because <laughs> We don't we don't ever perceive dealers as being honest and transparent. Those those words normally don't go together with a dealership experience, except for a handful of dealerships out there. Yes. There are some that do it. Mm-hmm. What, what we would like to see happen is that there's more than that do it and, and that there isn't pushback. And, you know, the personalization you know that that's almost like asking your your customer to pucker up. You know, and, and hello, I'm sorry, but but you know, it shouldn't. The deal is the deal. The price is the price. You know, you, 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 they don't personalize the price for you at Coles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they do give you a lot of that Kohl's cash. Aaron, can we talk a little bit? Can we talk a little bit about the work that you're doing? Because my dad just mentioned there are some good dealers out there. And you actually have an incredible video that you did with More Perfect Union for a campaign that you're currently doing to bring awareness to the FTC's rules to try and rein in some of the shady dealer practices. And you had a dealer in that in that video, if I'm not mistaken. I remember watching it. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the video that you produced and the campaign that you're currently working on? I know you talked about this in the, in the podcast episode as well. So we want to give you a little bit of space here to talk about the work that you're doing at CFA to try and push this industry forward. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so like I said before, the Federal Trade Commission proposed a rule that would regulate some of the ways that auto dealers sell and finance vehicles. One of the parts of that rule is about price transparency. And that's what we are extremely pro and really pushing to get across the finish line. Um, this rule was proposed last September last July, and the comments on the rule, the public participation is actually not open at this time on that process. I will say that in the process of that public comment period, 
uh, the FTC received over 25,000 responses from consumers. Thank you to Car Edge uh, for promoting that. That's actually how we got in touch was I saw the comments that you drove to that. So thank you. and, you know, we we looked at that and we filed a really comprehensive comment that looked at all the ins and outs and ticky tacky parts of it. But at the end of the day, it's really about leveling the playing field for consumers. This market is broken and it is discriminatory. Pricing is really terrible. It's opaque. All of these things. So what I've been doing at CFA is trying to keep the public engaged on this issue. The Federal Trade Commission is facing an enormous uphill battle, and that is primarily because of really well-paid lobbyists that are being funded through NADA, auto dealers that don't want this rule to get across the finish line. So in that connection, um, I worked with More Perfect Union to create a short YouTube video that explains the rule. It explains, oh, there it is. Yeah with a classic clip from Seinfeld (laughs) and Putty selling him a car. Um, It explains the rule. It explains kind of what's at stake and the role that auto dealers have played in stymieing uh, meaningful consumer safeguards in the sale and financing of a vehicle. And what you can do is go watch that video. um, But less important is signing this letter writing campaign that would um, tell NADA to back off. It would tell the auto dealers to say, let the FTC do their job. You can click that link, send a letter to Nada yourself that says, we want the Federal Trade Commission to go through this process and hear from consumers and hear what they should be doing without all of this public pressure from uh, corporate lobbyists and Nada to say what they would like to see happen. It's extraordinarily self-interested on their part. And I think it makes sense to really recognize that and give people an opportunity to keep participating in this process. Um, The next step in the rulemaking, right? So they had the initial proposal in July. The next step is going to be to propose the final rule. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to look substantially the same as what was proposed last year. But uh, I assume that the FTC is working very hard on that. I mean, they had like 25,000 comments to go through. And I know that they are extremely thorough and they really want to hear from the public about this. So this letter writing campaign is an opportunity to just stay involved in the process, right? To keep exercising your voice um, as someone who buys a car or who has purchased a car, who who has heard from their mom when she bought a car and the terrible experience she had, right? Keep staying engaged with it. Erin, can I ask you a quick question? Mm -hmm. Um, When you and I chatted a couple of weeks ago, um, you, you know, I was shocked to find out that there were like for the entire state of Virginia, there's two investigators and there's like a handful of attorneys for mm-hmm. consumer affairs issues. Yep. Does the same hold true at the FTC? Are they understaffed the same as states understaff their consumer affairs divisions? Uh, you know, I'm sure every federal agency would love to have an endless resource of attorneys who are fighting these cases and analyzing things. Um, certainly, it's a different ballgame when you're working with the Federal Trade Commission than perhaps like a state AG that only has one lawyer. I mean, the FTC also has people working on the rulemaking, enforcement cases, policy stuff, public engagement, right? Like they have a ton of people. Um, I'm sure that the FTC would love to have the ability to have more attorneys, you know, more staffers that are really thoroughly vetting all these issues. So it does take some time, right? Like any enforcement action, any investigation, it's going to take some time. But yeah, I I don't really actually know how many attorneys they have, but um, consumer protection always needs more attorneys, always needs more advocates. It's a very small voice frankly, especially when compared with 
lobbyists who are getting paid thousands, tens of thousands, much more money to um, <laughs> advocate for the interests of like these poor businesses. Can I ask a, a question? Because it came up in the chat and it's something that we actually talked about the first time we met in person, if I'm not mistaken, which is where does the CFPB sit in all of this? Because you'd imagine they would have oversight and this kind of, I think, ties into some of the NADA's power here. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about where the CFPB sits and, and what's happened there? Wow, what a great question that I would love to talk about. <laughs> um, so the CFPB was created in 2010 after a bit of a economic uh, financial crisis that we experienced. And a big part of the discussion when the CFPB was created was who is going to regulate car dealers? Is it going to be the CFPB or is it going to be the FTC? Historically, it's always been the FTC. Um, and we're just talking about federally, right? Not states. So yeah. uh enter NADA and it's enormous lobbying power to say, of course, they don't want the CFPB to regulate them. I think they smelled the fact that the Bureau was going to be an extraordinarily useful, effective agency that would be able to go after some of the worst practices. So auto dealers got themselves carved out of the Dodd-Frank Act, just the dealers though, right? So the CFPB does regulate um, lenders and finance companies. So when it comes to like the um, finance contract and servicing the finance contract, the CFPB does regulate that aspect of it, but they don't regulate the dealer conduct with one exception, the exception to the exception. It's so complicated. Um, But the exception to the exception is buy here, pay here dealers. These are the dealers that advertise things like your paycheck is your credit, Um, It doesn't matter what your credit looks like. You know, we finance everything in-house, but it's just that. It's dealers who do the financing in-house. I think the logic behind that was that because they are actually a finance company that the Bureau would um, maintain regulation over those dealers. I hope that that answers the question. Definitely answers the question. For me, it's so fascinating because think about how strong the National Automobile Dealers Association is that coming out of the great financial crisis, there was a movement to create a regulatory body to pretty much make sure that can't happen again. You know, it's government, Mm -hmm. so it probably will unfortunately happen again, but they're trying their best. And what is the carve out in all of that? It's car dealers. I mean, just let let that sink in for a moment. It wasn't like we were, you know, just moseying around in 2014 and we came up with a new proposed regulation, you know, regulatory body. Like this was out of the the financial crisis and they still got that carve out. And I think for me, this is where, you know, I, I'm so, uh, I have so much, so much respect for CFA and the work that you're doing, Aaron. And I also feel like tied to the regulatory piece has to be economic incentives because getting NADA, getting the dealers to do anything, mm-hmm. we have to show them, we have to show and push them to be like, it actually can be better for you. You can, right. you can somehow make more money. Maybe you have less costs. Like, I don't know how it works quite yet, but like there's money to be made by being honest. Like somehow we got to flip that switch. And I, I honestly look at like cost plus drugs from Mark Cuban and things like that. Like there are examples out there of like leading with honesty and transparency and trying to do things differently. And we have a couple dealers in the auto space, like Earl Stewart, for example. So yeah. I think there's a bit of regulatory and that to me feels like a huge uphill battle because again, you just explained CFPB and holy hell, that's insane how they were able to pull that off. And then you look at like what drives capitalism and it's how people make money. It's like, cool, can we make it more profitable to be more honest? And I don't know if there's an answer to that. It hasn't operated that way for a hundred years, probably for good reason, but I'm naive enough to think maybe there's a chance. Yeah. Incentive shifting is always useful if that's the path that you can go down and really have a successful narrative. I think the problem is that the way the market is designed right now is that 
you lose enormous competition when you price honestly. And that's something that many of the auto dealers who actually supported this rulemaking and are pro-transparency are like, yeah, we do this, but it's really hard to compete with the franchise dealer that doesn't because their price automatically appears lower. You solicit the consumer. And then once you have them on the lot, you know, then it's kind of game. And if there's no enforcement, then there's no motivation or justification to play by the rules. So yeah, it's both. It's not one or the other. It has to be both because this is, this is go search for a car on car gurus folks and tell me that the price you saw advertised is actually the price you get when you show up. That's not how it works. And so it makes it impossible for, you know, uh, uh, someone to advertise a real price. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a reason we'll all be working on this for decades to come. Well, hopefully not you, Pops. You should probably retire again. But me and Aaron, me and Aaron, we'll be working on this thing for a while. Do what we can. May, may I say, um, uh, my retirement will be my death. Okay, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that you'll you'll have me working on this until I draw my last breath, and 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 I'm okay with that. Okay, you know, retirement was fun for what'd you let me be retired? Eight, nine, ten months, if it was even that, until you moved into my uh, into my condo and said, Let's go, we're going to work, buddy. Um, so no, I'm I'm good with that. But look I at want the to pull up a comment. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, look at the go wonderful you're, you're bringing all of this experience um from the dealer perspective to consumers to really understand what's happening. This the sale and financing of a vehicle is literally the most complex consumer transaction a consumer will ever face, more so than buying a house, um, any anything else, right? And it's because there is so much happening behind the scenes that we don't know and we can't appreciate. And therefore, you can't negotiate what you don't know is happening. And I think that what you bring, if if I may, is, is some transparency to that, right? And to explain to people when a dealer tells you this, what it actually means is that. Beware of this thing because it actually means that. I mean, that's extraordinarily helpful. So um, don't retire. Keep <laughs> I'm not, my my plans are not to retire. My 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 plans are to to impact as many consumers and dealers as I possibly can yeah. um, to um, right the wrong that I was a part of for 43 years. So there you have it. Bob. I want to pull up a comment that came on the screen. Luis says, Ray, you need to invite Aaron to the podcast. We need more of her. All right, Luis, you just thank you for queuing me up for that. That was perfect. I wasn't sure when I was going to promote the fact yeah. that today over on the Auto Insiders with Ray Shevska YouTube channel, and it's also a podcast, the number one automotive podcast in the United States of America, according to Apple Podcasts. Erin uh, is over there. She's got an hour-long conversation with my dad, so please go check it out either here on YouTube or on your favorite podcasting app, whether that be Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever the heck else. No, it's not Stitcher, buddy. No, it's iHeartRadio or Amazon along with Apple and Spotify. I, you know, I, I don't know why Stitcher didn't want to didn't want to play. <laughs> We've only got you for a couple more minutes, Aaron. So I want to ask you a final question for my end and then pops if you have a final question for Aaron as well. I, I'm going to give you a, a softball here. Maybe my dad will get you a, with a, maybe a more hard-hitting question where can people learn more about the work that you're doing about you things like that i want to make sure that with this platform we have at car edge and here on our channel we can point as many people that are interested in your work in your direction so please just take a moment share with people where they can find more information about your campaign your organization and yourself sure so the easiest place is on cfa's website it's consumerfed.org you can click on testimonies and comments where you can see the comment that we filed in response to the ftc's um 
rulemaking. Candidly, you should only do that if you need some help falling asleep. It's pretty long and detailed. Um, but there's lots of other information on there just about the work that CFA generally does and then the work that I do in consumer protection. Um, I work on things other than auto, oddly enough, but auto is definitely um, my number one, given my past experience with suing car dealers. It's just something I feel really strongly about. Well, awesome. So please, everyone check out the website. Please go take a look at the work that Aaron and her organization are doing. And Pops, yeah, go for it. Well, the, the, my my follow-up question to that would be, let's assume, let's assume for a minute in, 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 in the next 10 or 15 or 20 years, you two, uh, meaning you and Zach, uh, <clears throat> figure out how to, to get everybody on board with what we need on the auto side of things. Then what are you going to work on after that? Oh my God, there's no shortage of bad actors. There will always be people to go after. It motivates me, right? Taking down the bad guy. It's more just, I don't know. There are so many things that are so unbalanced and unfair and um, consumers just don't have a real voice. And I will always find a way to be able to work on those issues. Bless your heart. I think that's I think yeah. that's really admirable. I'm gonna try and figure out Cole's cash, man. That's my focus after after <laughs> I figure out the like how do I get more of it when I go to checkout? Because it's never quite enough. So that's my ambition. Post car edge, post change in the auto industry. Aaron, thank you for spending time with us. We really, really appreciate it. You are welcome back. I'm just gonna throw it out there. You're welcome back anytime. So if you have new campaigns, you want to come back on and talk about the FTC rules, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, we are. I feel so fortunate to have gotten to spend the time with you, and I am about halfway through your episode with my dad on the podcast, so I can't wait to listen to that later on tonight. Thank you for spending some time with us here, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Great to see you guys as usual. Yeah, take care, care and thanks again. What a so, Pops, before we wrap up, yeah, before yeah. we wrap up today's show, just awesome, awesome. Like that's incredible, man. Um, you know, she is. As dedicated to the cause as anybody that we're going to talk with. And um, she brings a youthfulness and a vitality and an energy to it, much like you do. Um, and maybe it's because both of you are naive enough to think that you can actually make a difference. And that naivete will allow it to actually happen. So... I think it's a good thing that, that she wants to take on the challenge that she's taking on, you're taking on the challenge that you want to take on, and ultimately it will benefit the uh, the, the consumers throughout America. It's, it's, it's just really, it's remarkable what she's doing, what you're doing. I, I couldn't be more proud. I appreciate that, Pops. I think I just want to acknowledge Aaron's credentials are incredible. So, you know, like... She's she's been kicking butt for a long time working at the state <laughs> state's attorney general and and now at Consumer Federation. So she's got really really strong credentials and a lot of connections in the industry to push things forward. Um, so it's really awesome when we're able to get people like that who are mm -hmm. you know really just trying to change the industry for the better um, and try and make it more consumer centric. Yeah, I love getting to spend time with folks like that. If I may, Dad, it's not our normal. Really, you got to be kidding me. But I got a haircut. Yes. All right. Here's the you photo. Did. This is. I'm not going to name the barber shop I went to or anything or any of that. I'm. I'm taking. I'm taking yeah. since since you're bringing this up. I'm taking the reason you're not going to name it is is because you're never going there again. No, I mean I'll probably go back. They were very nice. It's just yeah. this is the photo I shared with them. Yeah, you said make my hair look like that, and that's how you walked out. 
I look yeah. good in this photo, man. Like, get me that any day of the week. That's great. But well, holy, now, may I say, even though this is the shortest I've seen your hair um, on top in uh, in years, I think it looks great. I really do. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the hell you're supposed to do with it, but there, that's better. I like that too. Uh, it, it is, it is malleable. It is, it's, you can work with it. I think you look great. And, and what's most important, if I may, what did Laura think? She thought it'll grow back. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. Thank you, everyone, for spending some of your time with us here on a Monday. Enjoy your afternoon. CarEdge.com. That's where we have all of our various resources. Thank you again to Aaron Witte and Consumer Federation for spending time with us today. Pops, we'll be back tomorrow. What time? I believe it'll be noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, 6 a.m. in Honolulu and 8 a.m. in Anchorage. Um, You know, I got them out of order somewhat, but I got them all in. I believe it might be midnight in Manila when we're back as well.